So that was the uh, preview of Elon Musk and, well, Elon Musk's crash course. It's a uh, presentation by the New York Times on Hulu. This is season two, episode one. So it's not exactly a movie. It's a regular show that they, uh, I guess, broadcast. Um, doing a special interesting thing and no driving gloves here tonight. It's just me. No Derek, no Will. Um, I watched this movie. And of course, you know, we talk a lot about Tesla and I get criticized a lot that, you know, I'm a Tesla fanboy, and, you know, Elon Musk this and Elon Musk that. Well, I do like Tesla. There's no doubt about that. Um, they're an interesting company. Uh, Elon has his ways, his things. Um, but I, what I thought I would do is touch a little bit on kind of, I don't know, my thoughts on the show or the movie, but the, uh, what do I want to say? Um, let's see here. Um, I guess it's a little bit, I'm going to do a little bit of history of Tesla, how we get to this. We're going to talk a little bit about the movie. Um, I'm not discounting the entire movie. I'm not saying it's completely right. I'm not saying it's completely wrong. Um, I just want to get on this. The movie came out uh, May 20th. Uh, if you subscribe to Hulu, you can check it out. If you don't, go ahead, go to Hulu.com. They'll give you 30 days, etc. Um, not getting sponsored or anything by Hulu. That's just happens to be uh, where, I guess, things happen to be. So uh, let's see here. Got a couple of little notes, you know, going through this. We're talking the movie uh, Elon Musk's Crash Test, produced by the uh, New York Times. Um, kind of doing a little bit. Let's do a little bit of history about Tesla and how we get to this movie and potentially these problems. And uh much to many surprise, Elon Musk did not found Tesla. Tesla was founded by uh, Martin Eberhard and uh, Mark Tarpening, I believe I'm saying those right, in 2003. Uh, Musk basically stepped in as the primary investor in their Series A funding, um, invested $6.8 million, uh, and it kind of made him the largest shareholder and kind of gave him a controlling interest in Tesla. Over the next two years, Musk continued to invest through Series B and Series 3 funding. And by the end of that, in 2008, he had actually become the CEO of Tesla. And basically, it was his company. I can't remember. I think he owns about 17 million shares right now or so. Uh, immediately after he became CEO, Eberhard was quickly removed. Uh, resulted in a lawsuit, which has since been settled. And he, Everhard seems to speak okay of Tesla. And Arpening, uh, he exited just early in the development of the Model S, which probably would have been 2011-ish. So the original founders have exited the company. Uh, they probably were compensated fairly well, in my opinion. Uh, they went on to after, let's see here. Really, the Roadster was the first car from Tesla. Not the Roadster we saw at the Cybertruck debut, but the Roadster, which was based on the Lotus Elise. Uh, the body was massaged a little bit. Um, I think it was a really well-done car and potentially even had some quality above and beyond what Lotus uh, had. Uh, my opinion and checking out Tesla Roadsters and that, they did have a larger trunk than the Lotus Elise. Heck, you could put golf truck, or excuse me, golf clubs in the trunk of the uh, Tesla Roadsters. And that launched in about 2008, 2009. And basically, it was kind of a proof of concept car. It uh, came out. It was well accepted. It proved that uh, electric cars were usable, could be quality built, could demand a premium price. Um, basically, it was proving that Teslas or electric cars were well beyond, if you remember the little wedge-shaped triangular things from the mid-70s called the City Electrics. That's kind of one of the most popular electric cars, I think, in history. 
Uh, it's what I always thought of when I thought of electric cars. And also keep in mind, by 2008, 2009, uh, while they're not fully electric, Toyota had been successfully selling the Prius for over a decade. Honda, I believe, put the CRZ on the market in 03, 04-ish, maybe 02, and marketed it until... I can't remember if it was 12 or 15 or so. So those are hybrids. And, you know, using battery technology and basically kind kind of gasoline motors to assist. And, of course, the Chevrolet Volt was in production because it came out in, what, 2011, 2012. And it was an electric car that just happened to carry its generator with it. You know, everything about the Volt says that the Volt was never powered by that gasoline motor it carried. That gasoline motor was there to charge the electric batteries when they needed charged, and the car continually ran on electricity, period. Which I looked at a Volt many years ago and really liked them, and it's because of the range anxiety in that that I liked the Volt. I think it may it was a good transition, too. But by 2012, the Roadster production... Um, could kind of faded away and the Model S was launched. Uh, the Model S basically put Tesla on the map and basically put electric cars on the map for, well, where we got to today. If it wasn't for the Model S, I don't think we would have um, the electric car boom we do now. You know, Fisker came out with their uh, Karma about the same period in time, electric with onboard generator, things like that. And obviously it failed quickly. Uh, there's been a couple other pop-ups that kind of did electric, but Tesla put them on the map. I mean, there are, like I said, other companies in that, but we all know Tesla. Tesla, you know, has become this um, automotive production powerhouse. And while the Model S has now been on sale for over 10 years, um, it's been tweaked with some exterior styling changes, some interior improvements, and obviously, the technology is kind of continuously updated. There's a lot of controversy on how long Tesla actually supports their cars. Um, there's always controversy about getting parts and things if you don't go through the Tesla dealer network or your car's out of warranty, things like that. But um, so the S, we had the S. 15 brought us the Model X SUV with its overly complicated rear gullwing doors. 17 introduced the Model 3 sedan, which is now the best-selling electric car in history with over a million units delivered and quickly approaching 2 million. And that's delivered worldwide, not just in the U.S. And then finally, we completed Elon's sexy lineup, S3 XY, uh, I can't remember, but somebody had the E trademark, so that's why we got Model 3 instead of Model E, but he always wanted this sexy lineup. Uh, the Model Y was introduced in um, 2020, and while I've never touched a Model Y, my understanding is it basically is um, the Model X with normal rear doors and a little bit lower roof line. Um, now, of course, during this time, Tesla also sold a flamethrower, um, kind of a neat little thing. I think they were 800 bucks and they, they weren't called a flamethrower. I can't remember what the name was because they, you can't ship a flamethrower UPS, but whatever they called them, you could, but it was effectively a flamethrower for about 800 bucks. Uh, they introduced and took deposits on the Cybertruck and the second generation Roadster. And this kind of goes along with some things that I've said previously on no driving gloves about Tesla is they kind of come up with these little things to create a quick infusion of cash. I mean, it's minuscule cash when you're thinking a, you know, trillion dollar company and billions of dollars, but they introduced the flamethrower, earned them a couple million dollars, took deposits on the Cybertruck, earned them a couple million dollars, took uh, deposits on the second generation Roadster, earned them a couple million dollars. However, then they just disappear. The flamethrowers were delivered. The truck and the Roadster, where are they? Nobody's heard from them. They've hardly said anything about the Roadster. The Cybertruck stays in the news because of Rivian and the Ford Lightning and the new electric, uh, electric truck from General Motors. So there's competition for it. Uh, super expensive, high-performance electric sports cars, 
with the Ajiva by Lotus, and you're looking at some of that stuff coming out from the exotics, maybe the Roadster will start getting mentioned again. But as of 2022, they're still mentioned on the website, but any predicted introductory dates and that have been removed. As um, recently as last fall, last winter, you could get get on the website and it was saying that the Cybertruck and the Roadsters were due late 2022. That's been removed and Musk has recently come out and stated that no new products will be launched in 2022. And then, of course, the news runs with it and all of a sudden all this stuff pops up about this little compact car. I don't even remember a compact car, you know, a kind of this smaller Model 3 with a lower price point. That's what the press is running with, not the fact that these other things have, you know, were introduced in 2019, you know, 2020, and there's been no headway, no mention. Really, we haven't even seen prototypes on the road. Now, I'll give them the Roadster might take a little bit longer because Musk has come out with this crazy idea to add, or excuse me, to aid in the acceleration of the Tesla Roadster putting SpaceX technology in it and putting little um, rocket boosters on the side so that when you go to do a launch control takeoff run, I guess, these little rockets will come on and you'll have rocket propulsion in addition to your electric motors, which I don't understand how it works when you have a driven wheels and then additional thrust from non you know, that are not driving the wheels. I mean, if the wheels just spun without any drive, the rockets would make sense. But you can't force something to go faster than what the motors and the mechanicals are letting the wheels spin. And um, not, I mean, basically the rockets would then cause the wheels to spin, but basically skid the car across the ground. So I don't know, but again, this kind of goes back to the movie, Elon Musk's Crash Course, and that Elon says a lot of things that make sense in Elon's head, that Elon wants to see, but maybe are, are not viable in the world. Um, I don't knock him too much for that. I mean, great visionaries have some crazy ideas, and if you put it out in public, maybe it forces the engineering team to develop and um, work, te um, what do I want to say, um, make te uh, technology, you know, or I guess make the technicians, you know, it puts them under a gun that, hey, we said this in public, we need to make it work. Now, as the movie points out, uh, we're two years away from full autonomous driving, and we'll get into full autonomous driving a little bit later this episode. But we've been two years away from full autonomous driving since I think and in the clip that I opened the show with, which hopefully can remain. I'm not sure if I violated copyright, but we're talking about the movie and critiquing the movie. So I think it was legal for me to play that. But I think in the clip in 2014, we were two years away from full autonomous driving. And by 2020, it would be full. You could get into your car, tell it where you were going, you go to sleep and your car would get there. I don't believe we can do that right now. Um, then, oh, of course, over the new years, additional tech has popped up in, you know, Teslas, which have been kind of cool and keeps them in the news. You know, the cars can fart and they get in trouble for that. Uh, they can actually dance to various songs, moving the doors, flashing their lights and possibly adjusting their suspensions. Uh, they do a Christmas light show. Uh, they can be summoned which is kind of cool and kind of full autonomous is you get out your phone app, you tell the car to come to you and the car will pull itself out of its parking spot or back itself out of the garage and come to, I believe where you're standing with your phone. I've never summoned one. I've seen it done a couple of times and it's usually the gentleman pushes the button. The car drives itself up to him, pulls out of the parking spot and you know, it's a neat little feature. I can see where it would be really handy. Uh, but you've still got to, I believe, park the car and walk to your destination. You just don't have to walk from your destination back to the car. So summoning's cool, but summoning uh, potentially has its limitations. Um, and then, of course, the whole premise of uh, Elon Musk's crash course, 
are the, quote, self-driving, unquote, or, quote, autopilot features uh, that Tesla sells you. And it's about $10,000 to get full autopilot mode available on your Tesla. And I'm not going to get into too deep on LiDAR and radar and cameras and six cameras or eight cameras and the technologies that each manufacturer is using and what Tesla is using and not using. The movie really explains that. Now, again, you can get that on Hulu. If you're a Hulu subscriber, just search for it. If you get have watch your stuff through Chromecast like I do, I think it's on the feature menu right now. And if you're not a Hulu subscriber, you can subscribe to Hulu, test it out for, I think, for, I don't know if it's seven days for free or 30 days for free, but more than enough time that you could watch this movie and provide us a little bit of feedback here. Again, this is a pre-recorded episode. I'll apologize for that, but schedules the way they are, and I wanted to get this out and be sure it got out this week. Um, but like I said, go into the movie, and they're going to explain a lot more about the self-driving than me. I believe what they explain about the self-driving in the movie is fairly accurate, how it works, how it functions, how it may or may not not function, um, and how it's being pushed. But when we get into this autopilot, there's a couple of little things that I agree with and I disagree with. But my my statements, my opinion, uh, I'm not even going to say no driving gloves opinion to take Will and Derek out of it. As a matter of fact, they don't even know I'm doing this episode. So this is strictly all my opinions uh, through no driving gloves. Um, the owners, you know, one, the owners are doing things with the cars that they have actually been instructed not to do, that they've been warned that you should not f operate autopilot on anything other than a four-lane divided highway. Um, the owners have come up with, and they openly discuss in forums on how to trick safety systems that Tesla's designed uh, to help protect the drivers from, they've got little warm things you can put on the steering wheel. So the steering wheel thinks you're touching the steering wheel uh, because you, uh, I'm not sure what the time is now, whether the Tesla lets you let go of the steering wheel for three minutes or six minutes, or even the movie didn't quite clarify it, but it seems they've tightened up that time that you can touch and not touch the steering wheel and stay engaged with the car. But, you know, they come up with these various um, technologies. Tesla, as far as I know, always tells you that somebody needs to be in the driver's seat. And we can go to dozens and dozens of YouTube videos where people are in the car filming from the back seat, from the front seat, you know, obviously not in the driver's seat, not able to take over the car in a panic panic situation, which I know is made clear to them. So I'm going to blame some of this on the uh, owners. And they obviously, the owners, again, are using the technology in areas they know the tech was not designed to operate. Two-lane roads, four-lane roads with cross-traffic. Um, I have seen them do it in their neighborhoods. Places that the technology has not been advanced to. But again, Tesla's selling you one thing and calling it one thing, and it's really not that one thing. And that'll come into the uh, autonomous driving discussion a little later in the episode. Um, I do believe, kind of as the movie points out too, Tesla can and should install GPS cutouts in the car. Uh, for example, when the car is being operated on a street that they're telling you autopilot is not designed to work on i.e. anything other than an interstate highway or a four-lane highway without cross-traffic. That's where it's been designed to operate. General Motors can do it uh, with their um, deluxe crews, and we'll get into some of the manufacturers and kind of what they have for, quote, I don't want to call it their autopilot systems, but their systems that are as advanced as, you know, General Motors and Audi and Ford and, you know, various other manufacturers can go. And while Tesla's valued at a billion dollars, you know, nine times what there are, what is it? Valued at a billion dollars, which their next nine competitors have to combine their valuations to reach a billion dollars. There's history, there's 
decades and decades of experience because self-driving has been played with since the 50s. It's probably been taught, taught, thought about longer than that. I wish I uh, should have checked with Eric. He could have told me when we kind of probably had the first self-driving. I mean, look at 1982 and Knight Rider. There's a self-driving car for you uh, that also talked to you. I assume Teslas can talk. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, the reason why I'm saying you can use this um, GPS fencing for the car is there are some sports cars now that have GPS fencing that when you enter a racetrack and basically enter the pit area of a racetrack, it provides you additional tuning or suspension setups or driving modes for the racetrack only. And when you leave the track, those settings go away. So you can fairly active or uh, fairly easily, I guess, create geofencing. But again, it's more data, more things that has to be programmed into the car, transmitted to the car, untransmitted to the car. Um, and I also feel Tesla should rename the system. I don't know what you rename it to, but, um, you know, Tesla driver assist, uh, you know, Tesla assisted guidance, something like that. But autopilot, when I put something on autopilot, if I'm in an airplane, provided I was a pilot, I expect the plane to virtually fly itself. But guess what? You still have to have a pilot in the cockpit. I mean, at least paying attention to what's going on. Uh, the autopilot handles a lot of things. And I mean, heck, I think planes even land themselves now with autopilot. But that's not where these systems are. Planes also don't have to worry about cross traffic really on landing. Uh, they have air traffic controllers to tell them, a, you know, a aid in additional traffic monitoring. There's not a lot of congestion, per se, as you do on the highways with airplanes. And also, everybody in an airplane up there flying it in the air is extensively trained. And it's not the fast food drive through the DMV, go through, pass a test, get a driver's license until the day you die and never have to take another test and not really be educated. You know, I was taught to parallel park in driver's ed because the two girls in driver's ed with me were constantly absent. And the guy, you know, he basically gave me my test, didn't tell me. And then after the test, he had me parallel park because he thought I should at least do it once before he passed me, even though I had effectively passed at that point. And I think my driver's ed was nine weeks, and I think I passed it in four because, like I said, the other two girls in the uh, car in the beginning just never showed up, and then one of them broke their leg skiing, so they just stopped coming. So I was able to complete my driver's ed fairly fast. But, again, it goes back to we don't teach driving seriously, especially the way we teach pilots to fly and you know, there, there's a thing with the autopilot flying that the operators are still much more responsible and much better trained than, what do I want to say, the, the everyday driver. Of course, that's what I want to say. But that's quickly my summary of a kind of a progression of Tesla, how the cars went, where the technology went. The, the movie gets into a lot more. The show gets into a lot more. I mean, allow yourself about two hours to watch it, especially if you don't have the non-commercial level edition of Hulu. But what is autonomous driving? It's talked about all the time. So let's tell you what autonomous driving is. They offer six levels or the, they classify six levels of autonomous driving. Uh, ironically, they start at level, level zero and go through five. So you only think there's five, but there's actually six. Level zero, no automation. The human does everything. Steers the wheels, activates the brake, accelerates, maneuvers traffic. We all do that. All of us do it in our cars. Most cars do it. If you have anything 10 years or older, you probably, you definitely have a level zero, no automation car. If you have something a little bit more modern, you probably do have a level one autonomous car, which adds driver assistance. So under various conditions, the car may control your steering. It may control the speed. Um, 
not both simultaneously. Uh, I kind of disagree with that. Uh, the rental car I had while my mini was in the shop, um, did, I still think is a level one, but you could set the cruise control. You could set the lane keeping assistance and the car would keep it in its lane and keep the speed. You could just rest your hand on the steering wheel and it basically would keep itself in place. If you took your hand off the steering wheel more than 10 seconds, the car would beep and you'd have to put it back. So far from autonomous, but if you were on the interstate or te- uh, be honest, um, most roadways, um, two lane highways, divided cross traffic highways, um, interstate, you could turn on the cruise control and it would do a fairly good job of keeping you centered in the lane, uh, using the proximity sensors on the car to keep your distance from the cars in front of you on cruise control and that. And if you go back a couple episodes of No Driving Gloves, Derek and I kind of talked about our likes and dislikes of that system. But other than, you know, those limited things, maybe light steering, uh, speed control, um, uh, um, I'm going to say auto braking in that, um, you're controlling all other aspects of driving. You have full responsibility for monitoring the road and taking over if the system fails to act uh, appropriately, I guess is the word. Um like I say, adaptive cruise control is probably one of the best examples. My Fusion that I had had um, collision alert, which really isn't autonomous. It would beep and scream and everything, but it wouldn't break itself. Some cars do. My Mini has a little red light, and I'm not sure if it does break itself or not. I've never really pushed it, and the dealer was kind of vague when I bought it. I do not believe it has auto braking, but... Um, it, they do have assistance there. And I think one of the reasons they don't, a lot of manufacturers aren't doing auto braking as Volkswagen, you know, Volkswagen advertises that it, it can stop an emergency situation. I believe Bentley can do it, which is obviously a Volkswagen company. I'm sure there's other cars can do it. I don't drive everything that's out there. And I'll be honest, I can't stay up to date on everything. But, you know, I think auto braking falls in that. Level two gets you into partial automation. And this is about where I think everybody's at right now with their most advanced technology. You know, at this point, you can steer, accelerate, and brake in circumstances. The driver has to respond to traffic, emergency situations, um, has to watch out for hazards, has to instigate lane changes, um, And you, again, usually have to keep a hand on the wheel. And again, um, really good examples of this is Cadillac Super Cruise. Nissan has the Pro Pilot. Uh, What's Audi? Audi has one, which, of course, trickles down through Volkswagen and up to Bentley. Um, uh, Traffic Assist. Might be Traffic Jam Assist. I think that. If you're driving an Audi, let, let us know. Um, Volvo has an assist also that's similar to that. I think Ford does. And I honestly think, think this is about where Tesla's autopilot is. We're at level two. So we're halfway through the progression. Tesla and Musk discussed that they probably are a little bit beyond. Uh, level three is conditional automation. The vehicle can, in the right circumstances, manage most aspects of driving including monitoring for safety hazards, doing lane changes, um, monitoring speed, steering the vehicle, going around corners. But the system will request request the driver to intervene or take over if something happens where the car loses its ability or can't process quick enough. It confuses the computers on board, whether it be a crazy lane change by some some other member of traffic, whether it be a deer running out into the road and the car doesn't detect it, um, uh, whether it be, I want to say, you know, a panic stop in the rain or low visibility where the car, you know, you still have to pay attention and still pay it, you know, be there. And that could be where Tesla's autopilot is advanced to by now. But the driver still has to be attentive. You can't watch a movie. You can't go to sleep. And we all know drivers are watching movies and going to sleep in Teslas. There's videos out there showing them do it. 
there's people out there claiming they do it. But um, what do I want to say? I think the, uh, well, we'll slide on to level four, which is high automation. A steering wheel and pedal still remain in the car, which again, with Tesla and autopilot, we still have steering wheel and pedals. But again, on the Model S, they introduced this, um, not joystick, but yoke, kind of like you have in an airplane, not a round steering wheel, basically the Knight Rider steering wheel, because it reduces what's in front of you when you're driving. And they're trying, you know, Tesla really wants to remove the steering wheel and the pedals from the car uh, because Musk thinks they're there. But even though you have steering wheel and pedals at level four, the human doesn't have to provide any input other than telling you where it wants to go and under heavy traffic conditions, maybe uh, weather conditions. Um, maybe like mountainous driving. I doubt if you want, doubt if it wants to drive itself off Pikes Peak. Maybe we'll go back and talk to Randy Propes, who we interviewed many about two years ago on the show and as actually a, a driver for Tesla now. Um, but basically the driver does everything with the car. Um, our driver does nothing with the car except maybe on your congested surface street, driving downtown New York City, um, you know, driving downtown places with a lot of traffic and that, that the, the human has to actually guide the car. Um, there's a few cars out there from various manufacturers being tested as the level four car. And if, uh, level five, our highest level, the, the sixth, the top, top version of um, autonomous driving, full automation, true driverless. This is, you can get in the car. You can tell the car where to go. You can go to sleep. You can watch a movie. You can crawl in the back seat, do whatever you want, and the car will get you there. Musk said we'd be there by 2020 in the um, preview that I showed. Throughout the show or the movie, Elon Musk, Crash Course, he discusses two years away, two years away, two years away. And I think even in 2022, 2022 we're two years away from full automate, you know, fully autonomous driving. Um, there is no reason to have a steering wheel of pedals in the car. And like I said, Tesla feels they could start removing these from their car. And all you do is enter a destination and the car gets it, gets you there. So go into the movie knowing this and what the six levels, five levels of autonomous driving are and listen to the movie and listen to what Musk is saying and listen to what his engineers are saying because they interview a lot of the engineers. I mean, they interview some of the um, original investors in Tesla or the founders of Tesla, actually. They introduce the former um, presidents and CEOs of or CFOs of Tesla. They, inter you know, they interview various engineers. They interview a woman that Claims she's a test driver for Tesla. I believe she's just in a program that she volunteered to. And they give her a few extra features in the car to test and provide feedback on. Don't know exactly how that program works, whatever, but she doesn't come off as what you think of as a test driver, say the Stig. She comes off more as a, um, you know, just an everyday housewife mom uh, without any extensive driving knowledge. And, you know, she's supposed to trust the technology they're downloading and test it out in real world scenarios. I don't know if she gets compensated for it. I don't know what happens if the technology fails and she in, is involved in an accident. Uh, don't have a clue. And I also want to say, I'm not discounting those that have passed away or perished in accidents either caused by a self-driving Tesla, which those rarely get spoken about, or a Tesla actually 
kills the, the person operating or maybe the passengers in the car. There's some pretty good analogies in the movie about some of these drivers that have perished. And there's a really good um, statement from the family of one of the drivers that uh, perished with his Tesla and potentially full autonomous driving. And again, I really encourage you to watch the show, even if you're not a Tesla fan. But I'm going to wrap up this episode fairly, I'm going to say fairly quickly, but I'm John and I'm a little bit long-winded. Um, remember, check out No Driving Gloves, NoDrivingGloves.com, NoDrivingGloves.com slash coffee if you want to contribute a couple of bucks to the show. Uh, we've got a lot of format changes coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, different host guest uh situation but no driving gloves is here we're going to keep rolling and we're going to try to give you a lot more of what you want so give us some feedback in that um again you can reach it reach us anyway but no driving gloves.com will get you to all the links the emails social media ways to subscribe or follow depending who you've, you're paying attention to there and all the back catalog. If we've done it on video, it's out there on the video page. If we've done it on audio, it's out there on the audio page. Um, and keep keep in mind, No Driving Gloves is a audio-focused podcast. So I know this video might even be a little bit choppy. But we are audio and we're looking out for our audio listeners. We appreciate you when we are broadcasting live and live streaming. Um, we thank you for... What I want to say, watching, listening, being along with us for the ride. But basically, I'm going to sum up now. I was talking the other day, hanging out at the cigar shop, and we got talking about Musk and things. And somebody said, oh, this movie's political. And maybe it's political, but, you know, I don't think all of it's based around politics because, you know, Musk pretty much hadn't declared a party when he introduced the Generation 2 Roadster and the Cybertruck. Those still aren't here. I mean, that's a fact of the matter. Musk hadn't declared when the first fatality started to come about with, you know, autopilot and when he started talking about autopilot. A lot of what's presented in this movie seems to be fact. But... How did we get here? Why, or how did Musk get here? How did Musk become um, CEO of a, uh, what is it, trillion-dollar company? One of, what, four or five companies that have reached a trillion dollars in valuation. Don't know where it is this week. I know stock prices go up and down in that. But keep in mind, most of Musk's money is tied up, or wealth, even though I think he's worth $200 billion today. Um, is tied up in stock. It's not real cash. He can't go to the bank and, you know, pull up with five semis and drive away with all his money. It's all tied up and it's not liquid. It's stocks and bonds and everything else, however he has it invested in various companies and probably more companies than what we're going to list here. But in 1995, Musk started his entrepreneurship and created a company called Zip2. Zip2 is a, um, the simplest way is it was an, a business and address directory that um, newspapers could use in that. Um, basically a primitive search engine. Um, you know, we probably had Alta Vista back then. We had Ask Jeeves. And, you know, we all had our favorite if you were on the internet and alive back in 95, 96 think I was still using a web TV unit in 95, 96. But, you know, I really didn't even have a computer. But I, um, but we, we all had our favorite search engines. Uh, matter of fact, Google didn't even launch until 1998, three years after Zip2 was created. Um, now, in 90, excuse me, in 98, Compaq came along and bought Zip2 for $307 million. I'm not sure what Musk's cut of that was, but I know he got a substantial amount, or I feel he got a substantial amount of money from that one. However, he was ousted as CEO in 1996, so he wasn't there through most of the existence of Zip2. 
Uh, he did not have a leadership role. He probably collected stock dividends and it was working on his next endeavor, which ironically, and you know, after Zip2 sold in 99, he started X.com, which was an online bank. And to get customers, um, well, they they offered um, you didn't have to mail checks into them. Um, they offer easy deposit withdrawal through their bank, uh, things like that. I'm not quite sure how it worked. I wasn't a member of uh, X Bank, but they would if you just opened an account with them, gave them your information, they would deposit twenty dollars into your account. And Musk used the example: just open the account. We'll give you twenty dollars, and you can take that. And I, he he told he broke it down so that you could keep basically six dollars still in the account and use the rest to invest in other things. X.com in the year 2000 merged with uh, Confinity and created PayPal. Um, so PayPal came about roughly in 99, 2000, um, a little vague on exactly when official, I didn't go through and find out the official articles of incorporation or anything, but late 99, 2000, uh, Confinity and X merged and became PayPal. Uh, ironically, uh, Musk was outed as CEO of PayPal in 2000, and PayPal was also named one of the worst business ideas ever in the year 2000. I think we know how the, all that worked out, because roughly um, two years later, 2002, shortly after PayPal went public, eBay stepped in and bought PayPal for $1.5 billion, which Musk, Musk cut of that was $175, $180 million. So he did not get $1.5 billion from the sale. But, I mean, no, he can't, you know, sneeze at $180 million. The first thing he did with this $180 million is he almost, you know, ran out of the bank after cashing the check and created SpaceX with an additional uh, uh, an initial investment out of his pocket of $100 million. Uh, Musk always wanted to build the rocket, always had this fantasy. So 2002, $100 million to start SpaceX. 2002, Musk also, probably some accountant convinced him, told him this was a good idea, can't say, maybe it was out of his own heart. Again, can't say. Elon, I'd love to have you on the show and we talk a little bit about cars and your history and uh, we'll be nice to you. Uh, 2002, the Musk Foundation was created, which is a 501c3 with stated goals that support renewable energy and pediatric research. Kind of an interesting mix in my opinion. But, you know, renewable energy kind of goes along with uh, Tesla uh, Solar City, etc., which we'll get to here. And between its formation in 2018, uh, the most recent news article I saw on it, they've handed out about $25 million. Ironically, half of that $25 million has gone to OpenAI. Um, we'll talk about OpenAI in a couple of years here. 2004, uh, Musk, with an initial investment of $6.5 million, um, funded a Series A round for Tesla, and over the next four years invested $70 to $80 million, eventually spinning all that into becoming CEO by 2008. Um, like we said, Tesla was actually founded by two other people in 2003, but when, by the t when Musk became CEO in 08, one of them was gone, and a few short years later, the other founder was gone. And the world kind of believes Elon Musk founded Tesla. Not true, but he uh, um, has obviously aided in the funding, and I'm sure some of his crazy brain um, has helped with a lot of the crazy ideas they have. I'm sure it was him who said, let's make our car fart. I'm sure it was him who said, oh, let's do this song and dance with the car. You know, maybe it was engineer that threw it at him. But the crazy idea is it's Musk. And I think 
it, one of the interviews I saw with the original founders of Tesla is when they went in to approach Musk for funding. You know, they had been laughed at and laughed at and laughed at. But when they actually went in to approach him, um, they're going, we're talking to a guy who right behind him is a glass wall and he's building his own rocket ship. So we're obviously not the most ridiculous idea that's ever went through his head. So, but now we jump into an 06 um, with an initial investment of somewhere between five and $10 million and the company actually being founded by Elon Musk's cousin, 2006 brought us Solar City, which if you really get into, there's been a ton of uh, tax dollars invested into this company. Um, they've created a lot of things or, or created, I don't want to say a lot of things over the year, but that's now where we get the um, power wall, the power something else, the solar roof. Um, but in 06, founded by Musk's cousins with an uh, and Musk in, invested somewhere between five and $10 million, which may have been the last of his PayPal money. I don't know. Um, he, he um, assisted his cousins, but in a, another twist in 2016, solar city was acquired via Tesla for two and a half billion dollars in stock. So, Musk had one of his companies buy another one of his companies off his cousins for two and a half billion dollars in stock. So eh, not such a bad deal uh, all around there. And uh, Solar City, the name went away, and it is now known as Tesla Energy. So Solar City is actually now a subsidiary of Tesla. Here's this name that I said we talked to about in a few years. So. From 02, when, when the uh, Musk Foundation was founded, 2015, OpenAI, a nonprofit, um, was um, it was originally designed for the development of friendly AI, uh, artificial intelligence. And on a kind of off subject, I saw an interview with Musk once, and he was asked about about AI and what he felt AI would do, because lately we now have. AI, artificial intelligence, programming other artificial intelligence machines and building other artificial intelligent machines. So welcome to insert your movie here. But Musk's statement was, um, as AI advances, I just at least hope they're friendly to us. So I kind of have that belief and it's probably conspiracy theory related in that, but I'm not getting in there. But I do have the belief that we have created our end uh, with AI. Um, AI was originally funded with $1 billion from a group of investors. Uh, Musk did resign from OpenAI. and OpenAI still exists, but he resigned in 2018 due to conflicts with the Tesla AI programs, which obviously fall into the full autonomous and other areas there. But 15, he opened open AI. 16, he opened Neuralink. Uh, this is a company not a lot of people have heard about, but it's a startup. Um, and Musk has a goal with Neuralink, which many um, um, neurologists say can't be done. This is a company, and I just read about it in the news yesterday um, with the Nokia chief talking about uh, 6G will make smartphones obsolete. And he get, a Neuralink was mentioned there because while the Nokia um, chairman or spokesperson, I think it was their president or chairman, um, said smartphones would go obsolete. He didn't exactly say what would replace it, but he said we would start having brain implants that would do this. And that's what Neuralink is designed or a company is doing. They're researching and developing uh, brain interface devices. They have made the statements and have presented that they're making these brain interface devices to aid with the medical community to potentially help repair paralysis, um, Alzheimer's, um, lots of motor functions and memory functions. But 
Pandora's box, maybe open it up, start popping chips in from one or two things that they start popping in for everything else. But um, either way, Neuralink's there um, in an ironic twist of fate, kind of following Tesla. Um, they are expected to graduate from testing their products on animals to potential human testing by late 2022, early 2023, which is Tesla testing their full autonomous driving using human beings. Uh, obviously, you didn't have an animals that could, you know, laboratory mice aren't going to drive your Tesla Model S around to see how it works. But they're, you know, they're moving on to human testing. So maybe these brain implants and with 6G technology and such aren't that far away. 2016, also, he started the Boring Company, uh, founded with the intention of uh, relieving traffic via underground tunnels. Um, it actually began as a subsidiary of SpaceX or... Um, in 2016, but in 2018, it became an independent company. Musk has talked about, and this really makes a lot of sense with Tesla and the pods we've talked about on the show before, has talked about having an underground network of tunnels throughout the U.S., and they would be called the Hyperloop, potentially transporting passengers at up to 200 miles an hour. Um, so, quick rapid transportation that is completely autonomous, get into a pod and you're there. Um, no current mention of this is on the boring company's website. So maybe Musk has backed off a little bit on that 200 mile an hour statement in that, but he has done a couple of tunnels under Los Angeles. He's done a few in Las Vegas and is actually the boring company is doing this whole series of network tunnels connecting all the hotels on the strip in that in Las Vegas with these special, really cool tunneling machines that the boring company has. Um, just realized here, this list did not include Starlink. And I can't remember when Starlink was founded. And Starlink is a division of SpaceX. And the idea of behind Starlink is to launch a complete network of satellites. When I'm watching some of the new Star Treks, they've got all these hexagonal and pentagon-shaped grids that go over some planets to protect them. I kind of picture that's how these Starlink satellites will be. And the premise is to offer internet to rural areas as a satellite internet service, uh, get a little dish for your yard and stuff, supposedly eons better than the um, other satellite internet services we've had in the past. Uh, really a small point to buy into. I've got a couple friends that are actually running their internet on Starlink now that live in the middle of nowhere. Real small buy-in. Uh, supposedly Starlink shipped 5,000 dishes and units to... Um, um, the war zone for aid and, re, you know, relief to, to help communications there. But basically Musk is trying to build the internet that is completely dependent on satellites rather than wires. Uh, so it can reach all corners of the world. I have read articles that, you know, there's rumors he'd like it to be free for everybody, which, and I don't know how true those rumors are articles are or what they've said, uh, but you can bet there's a few cable companies and telecommunication companies that are going to do their best to prevent Starlink from becoming a free service to anybody who wants it or maybe has the hardware costs. But uh, kind of look at, um, I guess, um, DirecTV and DISH. They kind of made a big uh, inroads into the cable companies there. And then, of course, the final um, feather in Elon Musk cap, maybe, is Twitter. And we're going to find out if his deal for Twitter goes through. I really think he will close it personally. He's just making all kinds of little excuses, probably to set some things up. 
on the flip side, maybe he's discovered that when you got into Twitter, it's really not all it is. And for $40 billion, give or take, he could potentially open up his own Twitter-like company. Or he can buy one of these smaller companies and um, spin it into something like a Twitter. Because going back to SpaceX, SpaceX is the second most valuable private company, I believe, in the world. Uh, the most valuable company is TikTok. Private private entity, obviously, not on the stock market or anything. You can't buy stock in them. TikTok is privately owned. Um, obviously, SpaceX is. They don't have stock stocks available for them either. But that's a quick summary. Do watch Elon Musk crash course. You'll learn a lot about Tesla. You'll learn a lot about the technology he's pushing. You'll learn a little bit about, um, you know, how he's a dreamer, how he's, and I joke he's doing it the Colin Chapman way. Colin Chapman used to develop Lotus cars to a point and then start selling them to the public so they could do the final um, R&D on them. I don't think he was putting as many lives at potential risk, but Chapman did it, and I'm sure other um, CEOs and presidents have done it. Uh, presidents of companies, you know, maybe presidents of countries. I don't know. But he's putting this stuff out there. It's there. It's something that I think we need to be aware of. I wanted to go through a little bit of the history of Tesla, how it related and fits back. Um, it's just a I said, very interesting thing to follow. This is kind of why I like Tesla, all the moving pieces. It's like a huge game of chess. You know, half of what Musk is saying is going to come true. You know, half of it's a pipe dream. Um, and then you find half of that pipe dream actually becomes reality. Um, he's no crazier, I think, than um, Thomas Edison was, potentially Henry Ford in the day. Um, and he's made, he's created the electric car. I mean, yes, they've um, lasted throughout history, but at no point in history as all of a sudden, governments, um, the European Union, United States government, everybody is pushing to electric car, electric car, electric car, electric car. Now, hydrogen's out there. Uh, synthetic fuels are now out there. It might not be electricity, but it's really hard to look past the signs that say, hey, when the you know, you have to have zero emissions and this is what's there and you have to be there in five or six years and hydrogen's experimental. I know Cummins just introduced a new uh, diesel engine. I can't remember what it runs on, but it's kind of a, I want to say a steam principle. I did not read much on it yet. Maybe that will cover a little bit of that in the next episode of No Driving Gloves. But we're right at the 60-minute mark. Again, nodrivinggloves.com, all the information, all the shows, the ways to reach us, find out everything. We have a page there with a lot of uh, little products that we like. Um, I'm looking forward to, I've got to store my car for a couple of days, and I'm taking the little jump starter that was given to me um, by a uh, upcoming, I, want, I don't want to say sponsor, but we're going to have them on the show, so I'm going to do a little bit of a trial on that. It's a nice, small, compact unit. has wireless charging for your phone. can jumpstart your car. has some USB ports on it. Of course, has a flashlight. And it doesn't feel like one of these rinky-dinky things. It's not the cheapest thing in the world, um, but a very still a friendly price point for the quality that's there. And we're going to see how it goes over the next uh, couple of weeks as I'm trying that. And we hope to get them on the show. We were really supposed to have them on before Christmas, but as we all know, um, I had some personal things last year and a move and changing of studios. But again, no driving gloves, nodrivinggloves.com. This is John. Again, most of these or these statements are all on my opinions and thoughts. And hopefully the trailer can remain at the beginning of this video. If not, I'll cut it out at least for the video and the audio. And we'll just live with this. And you'll just have to go to YouTube to find the trailers or hulu.com to watch uh uh, the New York Times presents Elon Musk's Crash Course, episode one of season two of this uh, series that uh, the New York Times does on Hulu. 
but that should be it. We'll talk to everybody next week. I think we're going to have Will on to discuss a little bit of the uh, outcome of his autocross, which I believe was extremely successful. And uh, autocross two uh, registration begins today. Uh, check it out at nodrivinggloves.com forward slash grip. That'll take you to the motorsport.reg page and get registered because the, the reviews and the stuff I've seen, this one's gonna, the second one's going to sell out fast. We'll talk to everybody, uh, like I said, next week.